Yes, sir. Welcome to the Sharp 600 brought to you by Covers.com. My name is Joe Fortenball. This is episode 99, the Wayne Gretzky edition of the podcast coming your way. And our sole focal point today is the 144th running of the Kentucky Derby. Now, I'm like a lot of you. I bet this race every year, but I don't follow horse racing all that much. I do some studying this week. I pick up a daily racing form for Saturday. I make my wagers. I do my thing, but I'm no expert. So I'm not going to sit here and give you any picks because that would be relatively worthless. However, we are going to visit with a friend of mine, Marco D'Angelo, wagertalk.com. He's going to join us in just a moment from Las Vegas. Marco's one of the best horsemen in the business. I have watched the Derby with him several times live at the South Point in Vegas. Not only is he a first-class dude, but he knows his horse racing. He called Animal Kingdom at 20-1 to 1 back in 2011. And a quick story for you here. Last year, I was in Vegas for a bachelor party this specific weekend. And I hit Marco up, and I say, you know, fire over your derby picks if you don't mind. I'd love to bet what you're betting. So Marco sends over his full sheet. It was $300-plus of bets. Just everything you can imagine, exactas to win, all that stuff. And I take it. I give it to the bachelor party, which is 30 or 40 dudes, and some choose to bet it, some don't, some do whatever. Some are so drunk they don't even know what's going on. They think it's the preakness for crying out loud. But at the end of the day, when the race concluded – Marco crushed it, absolutely crushed it, and it was great to be in this suite at the Aria because you had a bunch of knucklehead drunks going crazy. And these dudes know nothing about horse racing. We knew nothing, but we all cleaned up because of Marco. So instead of wasting any more time listening to me, let's turn our attention to a guy who knows what he's talking about. Good friend of mine from Las Vegas, Nevada, a pro handicapper. You can catch him at wagertalk.com and on Twitter at Marco in Vegas. Marco D'Angelo joining us here on the Sharp 600. Marco, good morning. First off, I'm trying to remember, which of the two big dogs of the last few years did you nail in the Kentucky Derby? Was it Mind That Bird in 2009 or Animal Kingdom in 2011? It was Animal Kingdom was the horse that uh, we made the big score with. And if I'm not mistaken, last year you set me up with your picks. I ended up in Vegas for a bachelor party. We killed it. I can't remember exactly how it played out because I may or may not have had 20 drinks too many. But last (laughs) year was another big year for you, wasn't it? Last year was a really big year for us. And the best part of it was, Joe, is we actually didn't have the winner is our selection. Uh, we had the horse that ran second, and that was uh, looking at Lee, and that's the horse that lit up the tote board and made all of the exactas and trifectas bring back what they did. We actually, uh, for our customers that follow my plays, we turned a thirty or $390 uh, ticket, that's what we invested in the Derby, into over $9,000 last year. I remember that because we were – I wasn't even sure exactly what I was rooting for. And then the race ends and you're waiting for the finish and you're waiting for all the horses to see where they play out. And when it was all said and done, you just saw a whole room of dudes looking at each other going, I think we just nailed this. I think we just nailed this. And then immediately everyone come Preakness time. Well, what's your boy like? Well, calm down. We're going to do a little podcast. Um, You still hanging out at the South Point for the race every year? Yeah, and especially after last year, you know I'm a little superstitious. Yep. So we'll be at the South Point uh, with your, you know, last year your boy Gil was there as well, and uh, all of the usual tribe, uh, your buddy Mark, and uh, there were quite a few drink tickets. That's the beauty of uh, when you bet a lot of uh, 
money on the horse racing, you get a lot of free drinks. That's the beauty of, of hanging out with you down there, because every time I would show up, you would have already been there for a few hours. There'd be 90 drink tickets on the table. <laughs> the day was covered. Um, all right, for the amateurs listening, for those that are kind of like myself, every year they dabble, come derby time, come Preakness time. If I was to pick up a daily racing form for the first time for this race, what would be two or three key things I should be looking to study when it comes to this field? Well, what you want, if you know nothing about horse racing, the best thing to do when you pick up the racing form is to look at the buyer speed figures in the racing form. That's going to give you, uh, we know, you know, we're, our natural talent is uh, sports betting, and we all know about making power ratings for, you know, football teams and basketball teams. Well, the buyer speed figures is basically that, a power rating of the horse's ability is speed, and you want the higher number there. Uh, you look at that you want to look at a horse that's ascending in those figures you don't want to see a horse going the opposite direction uh if you see a pattern of a horse you know he had a 90 then a 95 and then a 100 well that's definitely heading in the right direction for that horse uh beauty of the derby for me is a professional you know better uh it, this presents a, a unique betting proposition that you don't have any other time of the year you always hear us talk about ev you know we want positive ev situations well when you bet sports joe it's you against the house it's you know one-on-one yeah the public can dictate the line the more people that bet the favorite that favorite might move from five to five and a half but at the end of the day it's still you against the sports book at eleven to ten when you're betting horse racing the sports book is all they're doing is holding money. They make the same amount of money no matter who wins the race. A lot of people have perception that when a long shot wins, you know, the house makes more money. No, they get a you know, set percentage which is called the hold and then the rest of that money goes into the players pool and is divided among all of the winning tickets. Why I bring that up is because this is such an event, and as you said, there's going to be a lot of novice players that want to be part of the party, whether they're going to the racetrack or if they're an OTB, wherever they're at, or even just betting online at home, they want to be a part of it. But they know absolutely nothing about horse racing, and their money is going to be infused in that betting pool. So it's going to inflate the, the betting pool, make that pie bigger, and we all know I like to eat a lot of pie, and if I can get a bigger <laughs> slice, you know, that's what I'm going for, and that's why I will invest more money on the Kentucky Derby than I do in any other horse race. I don't, you know, normally bet $390 on a particular race, but in this one, because of all of the uh, EV expected value in it, it's worth it, and that's how you get those big paydays. Conversely, however, could you say that this is one of the tougher races to cap because you have 20 horses versus other races where, for example, on Sundays I'll go to Golden Gate here in San Francisco, you'll only get five or six horses in a race? Oh, absolutely. The, you know, and that also adds to why the figures are so high on the payoffs because it's, it's hard to you know, sort out all of these horses. And you know, what happens, fortunately this year, as far as the contenders go, you always have to sweat until the draw of where each horse is going to end up because there are certain post positions that are perceived as death sentences for horses. This year, those bad post positions went to horses that really, in my eyes, were no factor. All of the contenders drew okay in this race, so they don't have any excuses for a poor post position. How important is jockey research? 
jockeys in this race, let's face it, first of all, there's 20 horses in this field, 20 jockeys. You probably have 20 of the top 25 jockeys in the United States already in this race. So the talent level, there's not going to be a big gap. Where you want, might want to look is if somebody's making his first you know, start in a derby, there might be some butterflies. You know, the veteran guys are you know, always going to have an added advantage because they've been there and done that. You know, you've got uh, Mike Smith, for example, who happens to be on the favorite. You know, he has rode so many big races in his career uh, you know, all over the United States. It's just another race for him. But guys making their first starts, or maybe have never won the Derby, you know, it's, it's big for them. I mean, let's face it, whether you're a jockey, a trainer, or just an owner, when you, the first thing you always thought of whenever you got involved in horse racing was you want to win the Kentucky Derby. That's, you know, that's the Super Bowl of horse racing. And so, you know, all of these jockeys have dreamed about it from the time they stepped on a pony when they were knee-high to a grasshopper, that uh, this is what they wanted. So the jockeys here... Not a big deal. They're all pretty close in talent. There's a few that stand out above the rest. One factor that you can use as a handicapping tool, uh, and this applies even Derby any other time, if you look at the racing form and you see a horse, you see two horses in the same race, and you see the same jockey had been riding both of those horses, but now those horses are racing against one another. The jockey's got to make a decision. Well, jockeys get paid, Joe, based on how much money the horse wins purse-wise in that race. So, you know, they don't get a guaranteed fee. They, they're getting a percentage of what the horse does. So for them to make the most amount of money, they want to ride the best horse. So if you see a jockey select between two horses, that's a very strong indicator. Now, there is a sidebar to that, and I think that's one of the cases this year. Uh, you have Javier uh, Castellano. He had driven uh, Bolt Dioro. Uh, the last couple races, but he's jumping off of him to ride another horse for Todd Pletcher. Well, Todd Pletcher's a big trainer in, in horse racing. He's got a big barn. He's got a lot of horses. Castellano's going to get more live mounts from Todd Pletcher than he is going to get from the guy that has Bolt Oro. It's, it's a smaller stable. The guy doesn't have a lot of horses. So sometimes they make a business decision rather than a talent decision. You mentioned Pletcher. Bob Baffert's another legendary name. How important is it to know and understand who is training each of these horses? Oh, absolutely. The, the best trainers get the best horses. Now, we've seen lesser trainers get horses and win. Sometimes a horse is just that good. He's going to, you know, carry everybody on his back, so to speak, and literally he does. But, you know, you talk a few years ago with California Chrome. Art Sherman's a good horseman. But nobody knew about Art Sherman before California Chrome on a national level. Um, the horse took him to that stardom. But at the beginning of the year, if you're an owner, I mean, you're going to an auction and you're buying a yearling for a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're not taking that horse to Joe Blow down the street to train. You want to get one of the biggest names in the sport, and that's why you go to the Pletchers and the Bob Baffords, you know, the Doug O'Neills, all of the guys that are doing well, and you want them to have your horse. On the same token, you see these guys with horses in the derby all the time, mainly because they got more bullets to start with, because they get all of those horses. They may start the year with 30, you know, two-year-olds, you know, and 
when by the time they get to three, you know, they've got, you know, one, two or three of them are good enough to compete at this level. You don't know how many didn't make it to the Kentucky Derby Road. You know, the Kentucky Derby always features such a lengthy and informative buildup to the race. All this analysis, you always get one or two tidbits of, oh, this horse drew this post position. This post position has never produced a winner or this post position has only produced two winners in the last 30 years. For those who are listening, what are the worst post positions to draw? Well, uh, traditionally, the death sentence is post position one. And the reason for that is that when you're down at the rail and it's a 20-horse field, everybody wants position. Now, most people think, well, he's down at the rail. He's going to use the least amount of ground going around the track. The problem is all of those horses to the outside of him, they're all making a rush to that first turn, trying to get to the rail and save ground. And it's almost like being in the ocean and having a tidal wave come at you from the outside, and you can get buried down on the rail or pinched in. Uh, horses don't like being in tight quarters sometimes. And then you've got all kinds of traffic problems, especially if you've got a horse that's not real good gated uh, quickly out of the gate. Now, last year, the horse that made our big ticket, and it was one of the reasons it helped make that ticket, uh, looking at Lee, did come out of post position one. But he was a stone-cold closer. This horse is never involved in the race the first half a mile. So it didn't matter that he was going to get away poorly in the race. He doesn't start racing until the final half a mile. So I wasn't concerned about that, and he was able to cut out a good trip coming up the rail and had clean uh, sailing. A lot of times that doesn't happen because when you get a horse that's making a move from behind, and this is something that with all closers, closers are subjects to two things in a race. They need a fast pace up front. Because if they go slow the first half of a mile, you're not going to make up the ground. You're not, you, know, you can't put wings on a horse. They need honest fractions up front. So those horses that do have the lead start to go a little slower in those final you know, fractions of the race where you can make up the ground. But even if you do get the fast fractions, you've got to overcome a second problem. And that is something that's generally the thing that halts most closers is you run into traffic. Because as you're making your move from the back of the pack, you're bobbing and weaving through the field, and all of a sudden you come up on a horse in front of you that's coming back to you because he's slowing down, and all of a sudden you've got a horse to your left and a horse to your right, and you can't bob or weave, and you've got to grab a hold of your horse uh, to try to you know, not run up over the back of the other horse. Pitcher going down the freeway in L.A., you're cruising along at 65, and all of a sudden you come up on a, a car in front of you. That doesn't happen in L.A. That's a bad example. There's no traffic in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you slam those brakes, Joe. You, you know, you can't go left or right because of a car outside of you. Horses are not uh, cars. You can't just press the gas again. That horse is 1,000 pounds, loses all of his momentum. You've got to get him a couple strides to get him back on balance and then gear him back up. You lose those strides, that can be the difference in the race. You mentioned stone-cold closers. If memory serves me correctly, what, there are three types of horses? Is it closers, stalkers, and what else? Yes, you've got closers, stalkers, and front runners. There it is. Uh, the speed horses, you know, they're going to be out there on, on the lead, and they're going to try to get, you know, as soft the fractions as they can get so they have more 
um, it left in the tank when they turned for home. The other thing with if you're on the front end, the one thing you never have to worry about is traffic <laughs> because there's nothing in front of you. But you've got to be able to rate the horse and not go too fast. If you watch this year's Florida Derby, uh, the race that Audible won, and you know Audible's a horse that you know a lot of people like coming into the Derby. I think that you know, win by Audible was a little bit counterfeit because they went absolutely suicide fractions on the front end. Uh, two horses got in a speed duel, and neither one of them slowed it down, and neither one of them had anything left when they hit the top of the stretch, and all of the closers were coming, and Audible got the best trip of all, and he just pulled away and made it look like it was an, an easy win because he was going to buy, buy horses that were in reverse gear. When the draw came out earlier this week, which horses benefited the most and which may have suffered the most? The horses that really, um, the only one that I could say suffered uh, was the horse that, you know, some people might have given a shot to was, you know, horse number 19, Noble Indy. He's got some speed and horse number 18, uh, Vino Rosso. Uh, those two horses, you know, had some good talent coming in here, had some respectable races, but from the outside, they're going to be up against it. The horses that benefited the most, I think, uh, Bob Baffert was ecstatic with getting post position seven uh, with Justify. That's a good post position to be in. I like where horse number 14, uh, Mendelssohn, came, got. This is a race. They use two gates because there's 20 horses. Normally there's no more than 14 horses in a race except for this Kentucky Derby. So they have to use an auxiliary gate. Well, between the main gate and the auxiliary gate, you know, you have the hitches for dragging those gates out there. So it creates a little more space between the 14 and 15 post position. That's an advantage because there's less chance. Now, last year a horse did get bumped out of the – post 14 but generally there's less chance of a horse getting bumped coming out of the gate because they got more room to maneuver with that little extra uh, space between 14 and 15. If I was keeping an eye on some of the mid to longer shots who might make some noise which horses would I be targeting? Well I tell you I like a horse at 12 to 1 and that's number 6 Good Magic. This is a horse Good Magic that I just absolutely love the way he's been brought into this race. He had three starts as a two-year-old and even though after his first two starts he still didn't have a win, the connections thought enough of him to take him to Del Mar and enter him in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. The Breeders' Cup Juvenile is the most prestigious race for two-year-olds. He went into that race as a maiden. He came out as a stakes winner, and it ended up getting him the two-year-old horse of the year. Good magic blew that field away. He exploded in the stretch. They rested him. They brought him back, first start, Fountain of Youth, finished third. After that race, and it wasn't a bad race, Chad Brown, the trainer, said, you know, I wish I would have had a couple more training trips in this horse. Uh, he wasn't at 100% yet, but he still finished third. That was a good prep, a good start. They raced him again, one more prep before the Derby in the Bluegrass, and once again, that same move that he did in the Breeders' Cup, he did in the Bluegrass, just exploded in the stretch, pulled away, got an easy win, and he is the type of horse, Joe, that has the most successful racing style in the Derby, and that is a horse that is in the class of a stalker. Races just off of the front runners, but it has the jump on all those closers. 
I like him in this race. I think he's going to hit the board. I wouldn't be surprised he wins the race. He will be on my tickets on Saturday. Are there any horses, as we look at a 20-horse field, that we can go ahead and I know anything can happen, but if you were to just scratch a few right off the top because you don't think they have much of a chance, how many do you think there are? Who could they be? Well, because of the post position draw, I don't like the one or the two. Uh, those are bad post positions, and those horses don't have a shot. The three horse is the horse that I was talking about in the Florida Derby that ran the suicide fractions. This horse only knows one way to run, and it's on the front end, and catch me if you can. These horses are too talented for him. He will be out there at the beginning of the race, but once uh, the horses go by him, he will just fold up like a cheap suit. <laughs> what, As you envision how it's going to play out Saturday evening, what type of trip do you see happening? Well, I see promises fulfilled on the lead. You're going to see Justify, and this is the horse that everybody's talking about. And you know what? You know, in a couple weeks, we might be talking about Justify using the term super horse, triple crown winner, you know, because we don't know. He's only had three races, and he's done everything asked of him in those three races. The problem is he's racing against history. No horse since 1882. Apollo, they call it the curse of Apollo, has won a Kentucky Derby without racing at least once at two. This horse did not race as a two-year-old. His three races this year, the first two were made in special weights. You know, decent races, but not the caliber of horses that he's facing in the Kentucky Derby. He did have one stakes race. It was the Santa Anita Derby, and he did what he was supposed to. It was only a seven-horse field, and there really was only one other horse in that race that had a shot, and that was Bolt Doro. And Bolt Doro finished second, come at him, but couldn't go by him, and justify one easily. But here's the thing. Bolt Doro did not need to win that race. He already had enough points secured to be one of the top 20 horses in the Kentucky Derby. Justify had to win that race to earn points. He didn't have any points yet for the Kentucky Derby, so he had to win that race. And it was only a seven-horse field. Three times that he's raced now, you add up all of the horses in those three races, still doesn't total 20 horses what he's going to face in today's Kentucky Derby, or Saturday's, I should say. 144th running is Saturday evening. Uh, which way you lean in? Who do you think claims the roses? Well, I do like good magic. I am going to have Justify on my ticket, Joe. I'm not going to have the horse run me over and kill my exotics. But a horse that I'm giving a hard look at is the Invader uh, from Dubai, and that is number 14, Mendelssohn. And a lot of people dismiss these horses that come over from the UAE uh, Derby. They have no history of winning the Derby. This horse is different, and I'll tell you why. He has already demonstrated that he can race overseas and come to the United States and win. He raced last October overseas, October 14th. Then just a few weeks later, short turnaround, they brought the horse over to the United States, raced on November 3rd in the Breeders' Cup. He raced in the Juvenile on the turf and won that race. So he's already demonstrated that he has no problem traveling. This is a horse that has seven starts, and he's raced all over the world. So he's well-seasoned. But here's one little stat that a lot of people don't know or look at. Horses carry weight. 
And when you're in these big three-year-old races, all of the horses today are going to carry the same weight. But when you are in regular races, they will adjust the weight that a horse carries, trying to balance the field. The better horse carries more weight. Well, he has already won races at 131 pounds and at 134 pounds. There is no horse in this Kentucky Derby that has raced and won carrying more than 124 pounds. All of the horses in this race will be carrying 126 pounds. He's actually taking weight off while the other horses are adding some weight on. That's a tremendous uh, edge for Mendelssohn, and I think he has a big shot. This trainer has done very well with uh, horses. Uh, he's not known as well over here because he races so much uh, overseas, but this is a connection that can get it done and break that streak. Unbelievable insight. Check him out at wagertalk.com, on Twitter at Marco in Vegas. Marco D'Angelo joining us here on the Sharp 600 from Las Vegas. Marco, thank you so much for once again dropping the knowledge bomb. Have a blast and tell the boys I say hello Saturday when you're at the South Point, and best of luck this year. No problem. Check your email uh, late Friday night or Saturday morning, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, man. Thank you so much. All right, Joe. That'll do it for episode 99 of the Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. Thank you so much to my dear friend Marco D'Angelo in Las Vegas. He is absolutely one of the best in the business. And a special thank you to all of you for continuing to support this project. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. Episode 100 is next. I have no idea which direction we're going, but we'll try to come up with something something uh, pretty, 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 pretty good. But for now, best of luck to all you guys. Enjoy the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Be well, and best of luck.